Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. The sense of belonging has emerged as the strongest driver of employee engagement. Ahead of the typical drivers like trust in leadership and ability for career growth. And that has changed quite a lot because if we think about three, four years ago, that wasn't the case. According to one research from Qualtrics, only 20% of employees who feel they, that who feel they don't belong are engaged. But 91% of those who feel that they do belong are, are engaged. So that's three and a half times more, which is quite a, quite of impressive. And that has that has changed a little bit the, the current patterns that there was in terms of work culture. Today, I want to dig a little bit more on the topic because it's becoming so important and it has been kind of disregarded for the uh, for the last couple of years about how do we build this, this sense of belonging inside of an organization. We believe that or CEOs would, be, would believe that uh, more important things should be tackled. Well, I wanted to have the opinion of someone who has been groomed to be like a special kind of a guru in terms of uh, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, my guest today is Beth Ridley. She is an she had got an outstanding career in corporate. She has been a management consultant. She has been working in telecoms. She has been uh, working in financial services and kind of in different places. Um, and today she is the founder and CEO of the Reed Lake Consulting Group, which is focused, a company focused on elevating the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Beth, I want to understand what was the personal driver that got that got you in, inside of this area? Ivan, thank you very much for having me as a guest on your podcast. I'm super excited about this topic. Well, I guess to answer your question, I was asked by other people. Um, I, I didn't know that I had a knack for creating a culture of belonging. I, I, I just was showing up as a leader and trying to be the best leader. And when I noticed that the head of HR in a Fortune 90 company had approached me and said, how do you keep consistently getting the highest engagement scores out of for your department out of the entire company? You know, could you tell us what you're doing? Because at that time, this was before the pandemic, yeah. um, burnout was a huge factor at work. And this particular organization, they were um, spending a lot of money on short-term disability claims specifically due to employees being out due to stress and anxiety. Um, and so that's the first time I started to think, well, what am I doing? What am I doing that's so unique that other leaders aren't doing? And then I just started to reflect on my own work experience. And it's a little, I guess, non-traditional in the sense like you, and we were chatting about this, a lot of international work experience. So for me, it's very normal to be in an environment where people are from so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds, speak different languages, and have to figure out how do we bridge across those differences, but preserve them. 
because yeah. that's how you get somebody that what's what makes them unique. You're curious about it, so they feel uniquely valued. You know, they add that diversity to inform better decision making. And because I had done that for so long in so many different jobs in so many different countries, when they sort of plopped me here in the Midwest, it became very natural to look for everything that makes someone unique, um, even if it's not international experience. And how do I harness that? Because that diversity is just an asset. Um, and that's when I started to really think, okay, maybe I have some unique perspective on this that could be helpful to others. Uh, <clears throat> what What is quite amazing is that not only you started getting like the interest, but I saw that you have written books about the topic. So how do you get to to jump from, okay, I I need to find out what I what I do and yes. explain it to others into, Getting to write something. By the way, I know that writing is painful. It is. Yes. <laughs> well, so I'm going to answer your question. I have a lot of books, but they're not the kind of books that you think because writing is painful. And I'm an English literature major and I love writing and it's. It, I still find it painful. My books came out of, again, that question, what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. give me one or two tips. People don't want to read about a bunch of like theoretical strategies they just want something that they can implement after lunch on Tuesday. So I just started to think about all my tiny little best practices that you don't need to be in a workshop. You don't need a PhD, things that you can implement with the tools and the resources that you have right away. And so a lot of my books, frankly, are leadership aids. I have a lot of flip books of ideas. So I have 50 ideas to boost belonging in meetings, 50 everyday acts of inclusion, 50 questions to ask someone to get to know what's unique about them. So a lot of my books are very actionable, practical. You know, again, you can implement these right away so that leaders can move from reading about how to be a better people leader to being a better people leader. And I have the impression that this is a, a real need in organizations because I don't feel like uh, organizations know how to develop this uh, this sense of belonging, this inclusion in in uh, in organizations in in a quite easy manner. They have been investing quite heavily into awareness sessions, but yeah. you and me, we know that awareness sessions. I mean, we listen; it could be engaging, but if without the practice, without the actions that you are bringing through your books, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have value. It is an right. expenditure for nothing training yeah. people for two hours or for half a day about inclusion that is that doesn't bring the uh, the the real action the real behaviors inside of or uh, of an organization yeah yeah totally and i like to provide a framework around belonging because it's a big word and i like to say it's one of those things you sort of know it when it exists you know it when it doesn't but um, I like to say there's really four ingredients or four pillars to belonging. So if people can appreciate the four ingredients that lead to belonging, then they can start to break down like, okay, how do I invest more in pillar number one, pillar number two, pillar number three. So the four pillars of belonging are people feel a sense of comfort. Psychological safety is another word for that. You feel more confident just being who you are versus feeling like there's one way to be successful or there's a prevailing culture and I have to 
um, work hard to fit in, either minimize who I am, hide who I am, or pretend I'm someone who I'm not to fit in. So comfort is psychological safety. I'm confident being who I am. The other one is connection. So people feel a genuine connection to higher purpose and meaning related to their work. I think we start to get like a sense of, eh, you know, burnout when we are only in execution mode and we're like, for what? Like, how does my little piece of the pie add up? So feeling connected to higher purpose and meaning and a general connection to your colleagues, you know each other as humans, not just as workers. The third, then these all begin with C to make it easy. So the third pillar of belonging, the, the, the third C is contribution. Everyone wants to feel like they matter. Like what I say matters. People listen. People are asking for my opinion. It factors into decision-making. Mm-hmm. And the fourth C, the fourth pillar of belonging is commitment. And that's, I like to put that emphasis more on leaders. Leaders have to decide that they are going to be leaders of people um, in addition to bringing their technical expertise. But I think a lot of times leaders have gotten up to leadership because of their technical expertise, mm-hmm. um, their subject matter expertise, right? They're really good at executing on something and they don't quite value that people leadership piece. Um, but I like to say you pay leaders a lot of money. I think it's, it's you know, you should expect both of them. You know, they're technical experts, subject matter experts, but they also lead with people in mind. And so that's the commitment. Has the leader decided they want to be that leader that brings out the best in people to achieve the business goals? So those are the four C's. And once you lay out that framework and break it down, then you can be like, oh, okay, you know, here's what we can do to boost comfort. Here's what we can do to boost connection and so forth. I, I, I love the framework, especially the last one. So we ha- you have mentioned comfort, uh, connection, contribution, and the last one about commitment. Commitment, yeah. <laughs> Very often this is where leaders, organizations lag behind uh, in, in terms of this, this commitment that they need, they need to have, this role modeling, this role as an enabler, rather than you were mentioning technical expertise, but this leader, that was the leader that organizations were looking for in the 70s. Now we are talking about the, the, a world where what we have in our, in, in, the, in our brains is affecting the productivity of, yeah. of many organizations. Because if we don't yeah. feel comfortable, if we, if we are lagging behind in one of the four C's that you have mentioned, uh, then we are not in equilibrium. Uh, and yeah. Leader's role is to engage with humans, to motivate them, to help them, to support them in a more complete human way rather than just motivate to work more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a leader is there to create the environment, you Mm -hmm. know, for people to be their best and, and to be your best. You know, it's not about people fitting in. Because then you get watered down versions of people, right? And then that leads to group think, uh, which leads to bad decision making. So you want people to feel comfort comfortable enough to like speak up and, sh- and share what they really think, as opposed to what they think they should say so they don't get fired, which happens so much. You've got wonderful diversity at work, and then you just water it down because you force people into you know, not saying what they really believe, not taking a risk to share that idea. 
And those are, as far as I'm concerned, little seeds of innovation that go unplanted. So I have a theory that, in fact, that the, the fact that leaders sometimes do not allow uh, people to speak up, to share their ideas, to uh, um, is it is because of this sense of competition that we have. We don't know how to balance this. There needs to be competition, in fact, uh, at a certain level, because that generates a little bit of a stamina to, to move forward towards a goal. But they don't understand, uh, leaders may not understand that if you overdo it in competition, if the competition is between individuals rather than teams, if you want, who are trying to achieve a, a, a goal, that's what destroys the sense of this confidence to, to say something because you're going to be judged because somebody's yeah, going yeah. to say, hey, what did you just say this crap. Uh, and then you you stop talking about, uh, about things. Uh, competition has a, a, a little bit of a, of a bad blood inherent in healthy organizations. So yeah. there need, needs to be a, a little bit more balance. And I'll add also just another dynamic that competition creates. And not all competition is bad, right? So um, if you're a sales team, you know, or a, 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 a sports team, you know, really competition is us versus them. We are better than them, like crush them <laughs> so we can win, right? It's sort of a, a zero sum. There's not enough pie to go around. Um, and so I'm not saying that that is bad in every environment. And there's also a reason why in a hyper competitive environment, you know, retention is also very low. But the mm -hmm. other thing that happens in competition that's not good if you are in a situation where you want your talent to stay and you want them to continue to evolve and grow and get better together is because competition already assumes I am right, they are wrong. And that immediately means that you're not open to other diverse perspectives and ideas, which is the fundamental of what you have to have for innovation. You have to be humble enough to appreciate you don't know everything and you can benefit by being curious and seeking to understand from someone else. And that the best uh, outcome is going to be after we've considered from you know a strategy or a, a you know a, a a situation from multiple lenses, and so if I'm already, um, I like to say no one human has a monopoly on the truth. But in a hyper competitive situation, you're sort of going in. I'm fortifying myself uh, because I must win. I know best. I'm not open to reaching across to sort of see and explore, well, maybe they're doing it better. Yeah, so that's the other thing that sort of happens. Uh, Beth, do you have the, the impression that this romantic word called belonging uh, is, it has become like something trending in the last couple of years, last three, four, four years, maybe since, since, since the pandemic, um, do, do you think that be, the sense of belonging has become more important because of the pandemic or something else has happened in the workplace that that makes it trending? To me, belonging is really the outcome or maybe the most recent manifestation of this ongoing conversation that we've been having as long as I've been in corporate America for 30 years 
around diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is a constantly, all these topics, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, justice, belonging, they're all part of the same conversation. I just think that because the outcome of having these ingredients at work is so evergreen, um, it, it evolves as our challenges in the workplace evolve. So right now I think belonging, we're talking about it more, but the catalyst for that is we are, we are starting to elevate our awareness around mental health at work mm. um, and how we are so mentally unhealthy generally and work can be a big cause of before the pandemic I was talking so much about burnout and I used to call burnout the pan the the uh the the a pandemic you know um you know an, an epidemic this was before anybody knew anything about COVID then of course COVID happened and that's a pandemic and now you know I was just listening on the radio we're talking about things like loneliness depression um how companies now how are they supporting um, not just physical health and well-being of their employees, but emotional health and well-being. So belonging is one tool in a leadership's toolkit to support emotional health and well-being of employees. And I think to me, that is diversity. It's just invisible diversity, right? I think we're focused a lot on race and gender, the stuff that we can see. But beneath the surface, what is causing someone to feel stress, anxiety, loneliness can be really unique. And we never really talked about it, but I think we're starting to talk about it. And therefore, I think that conversation on diversity, equity, inclusion is now talking about the outcome of those three things is belonging. And belonging is really helping to have a positive impact on emotional well-being at work. Absolutely. And according to you, so on the experience that you have with uh, multiple corporations, I wanted to understand that if for you, the, 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 the belonging dimension is something that, where would you rank it in terms of what makes a healthy work, work, uh, work culture? Because there is different elements in, in, in a work culture, but would you, where would you put it? Is it at the top? Is I'm gonna it put it. I'm gonna put it really super high because it's something that all humans want, and it's also something so relatively easy to create in the sense that you really don't need a big strategy or a lot of money. Um, so for that reason, I would say it should be something that people are focusing on. Every human wants that to feel that sense of belonging again connection, contribution, comfort, right? Um, and to get there, you know, again, you don't need big expensive strategies. It's really just, are you showing up at work as a leader with those things in mind? And are you thinking about how are you uh, bringing that forward in your daily interactions and your decision-making? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's paramount. You know, I think a lot of companies now that were, you know, back in person, they're putting a lot of money in retreats, big fancy retreats, flying people to like amazing places. And I'm all for a good retreat. Don't get me wrong, but it's expensive. And it's kind of like a point in time. I always like to tell leaders, how do your employees feel 
on, you know, 3 p.m. on Tuesday? How are they feeling, right? Because that's going to be the, there's there's a lot more 3 p.m. on Tuesdays over the course of a year. And it will be that where an employee decides this is the place for me or not. It's not going to be the retreat. The retreat is going to be amazing. And it'll be make fond memories, but they're not going to be like, well, every Tuesday sucks, but I can't wait for the retreat. I'm staying. No, it doesn't work like that. Indeed, it's almost like, in the in this area of, of feeling uh, part of a, of of a team or, or a bigger scope, we need consistent small messages rather than any one intense activity like the yeah. retreat or like the big party. Uh, and because then we forget, and then we, we start dwelling, staying with our own thoughts, with the, the fact that we cannot connect neither with our yeah. colleagues or neither with the values of the company, and yeah. that. So it needs to be consistent, small steps. Like, and that's why I, I love what you just mentioned. That so that leaders have, uh, if they have the possibility to reinforce, communi communicate with their teams in a more regular basis, rather than investing yeah. on the on the big party, it, it would yeah. be more, more efficient. Yeah. And here's just like a real tangible example. That I think a lot of people can relate to my husband worked in corporate for, for many years. He is still there, but it switched companies. And one of the reasons why he left was he just, you know, he couldn't put it in words, but he didn't feel valued. I think that's, he just didn't feel valued. He just didn't, you know, just didn't feel like anybody cared that he showed up or not, but yet he was working so hard and so before he left, I had said, well, what would have made a difference? Like, what could they have done? And literally he said, it just would have been nice if my boss said, thank you. You know <laughs> what I mean? Instead of this expectation, we're paying you all this money, just grind the workout. And he did. He's a super hard worker. But, you know, it's one thing, like everyone wants to be acknowledged, you know, that they matter. And literally like, oh my goodness, they lost such an amazing talent. And the only thing they had to do was occasionally say thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I find uh, quite impressive is that at the age of 40, we so when we are young, it's, it's very easy to interact with people and feel like we belong to either we are these teens who are a little bit rebel or dress in a different way. So we are part of something. Uh, yeah. Then we are in university. We, are, we have the gang in, uh, in university. Then... We have friends that stay with us, but then at the age of 40, there is something different that happens that we start being more uh, lonely in terms of quantity of people. And then we start thinking about to what do we belong? And, and, and I relate it completely to, to me. Am I a Latin American? Am I Swiss? Am I, according to my, my family's uh, religious belief, uh, do, what type of things do I belong? And, and I have the, the impression that this sense of belonging becomes even more important at the, with employees that are at, uh, in in the age gap of, of between 40 to 50 because this is where we start asking the right questions instead of just living the life the, the flow of life and enjoying uh, is not enough we are ask ourselves questions when at the age of 40. I think you start asking that question. And I also think a lot of times when you're sort of mid-career, you feel invisible at work. Um, yeah. So I do a lot of cultural belonging surveys. And of course, we'll sort of break the, the results down by tenure and by age. 
And usually the big block where people are feeling less that sense of belonging is around that age group that you're talking about. And maybe, you know, 10, 15 in their career, because there's sort of this tendency at work to focus on the newcomers. At least that's how the more tenured employees feel, right? Mm -hmm. They're sort of there, they're, they're, you know, they might've been there for a while. Um, They sort of blend into the wallpaper, but everybody's like, hire the new talent and, you know, you're onboarding and it feels to them that they're feeling a little irrelevant. Um, Does anybody care that they're there? They're sort of mid-career. So, and you're also more reflective, maybe even than a young person, maybe kind of like, well, belonging, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to advance my career, even if I don't feel that sense of belonging. So I do think you're onto something. And that is a, a segment of the employee population that I think gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. Well, another thing is that I, I remember that I, some time ago, I was reading a book called The Culture Code. Uh, in this culture code book, uh, they talk about work cultures and the, the, the writer gets inspiration from what is happening in sports. So how the coach uh, succeeds to have like really high performing teams uh, uh, because of the, the way that they make them, that he creates like a... a a team that is cohesive, that where people are counting on each other, where there is a, a coach who is telling them the truth, but loving them like with that paternalistic way. Uh, he was also giving examples, I, and I didn't know about that because I am not crazy about the world of uh, military of, of the army. He was giving a couple of examples also of, of, of people uh, in the army, in the American army, in fact, uh, that they feel like cohesive that, and they feel lost when the they leave the, the the war or wherever they are with the, with their teams. Uh, they, they they feel lost because they have lost this this um, connection with people that you can count on each other. That no matters what they they will get things done together, and that it's almost like a matter of survival. So yeah. there's many examples like that, and I wonder. So why the hell is so difficult for organizations to extrapolate these examples and put them in practice inside of the workplace? Well, you know, I actually think that there are a lot of examples. I just feel that unfortunately, again, um, we don't um, elevate strong people leaders as the example. I think a lot of companies, not all companies, are very just focused on results. And you elevate the people leader, you, sorry, you elevate the leader who can achieve results. And we don't ask how they achieve those results. So out of all the leaders who are achieving the results, there are some that are achieving the results, but leaving a bloodbath you know, behind them yeah. of carnage and destruction. <laughs> but we don't talk about that because why? As long as they're achieving the results. Then I think there are leaders who are achieving the results and in a way that people feel that sense of belonging. But we don't really need to talk about that because, well, that's not that important. We're just focusing on achieving the results. So I do think we have to pull, you know, peek under the covers a little bit and elevate those stories and make sure those stories are leadership. And I think this goes back to our earlier conversation 
we're okay overlooking shortcomings as long as the company is making money or achieving whatever they're setting out to do. I just say, why? I just say, don't settle for that. Don't settle for mediocre leaders who are only good technicians. Why? You're paying them too much money. Those people are out there who can do both. And that is another inspiration why I ended up leaving corporate is because I saw those leaders who are really trying to be the inspiring leader and they're not getting any credit for it. Mm. You know, there's nothing in their performance plan or their goals or their compensation that talks about how they're getting their results. It's just the results. So they're sort of looking at the uh, the person next to them, the leader next to them is a horrible leader and they're getting promoted. So you start to just get demoralized and be like, why am I bothering? So I wanted my consulting firm to focus on those leaders who really, who get it, who want to do better, and they want more leaders. They want to set the standard that that is the level of leadership they're looking for. I don't think it's hard to find. I just think that sometimes companies get a little bit lazy and just stop looking or stop asking. You made me think about a company who was was trying to look for catalysts of good work, called work culture. And the way that they, they, they wanted to identify them, it was just by the number of connections that they had. But it is not enough because maybe that person is the, like kind of the doer, but in the hard way and that breaks a little bit the people working around this, uh, this person. Uh, so th there is not enough even though most of the human resources people have a psychology background, I, I, I would say that 50% of them have a, a psychology background uh, from university. They don't use it to understand uh, how to identify the good catalyst. It's not the one who has only connections, but it has positive impact on the people. And that's yeah. what could enhance and, and <laughs> scale up a good, healthy culture. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of HR people, even with that background, you know, it depends on how, you know, what their performance structure is and what their goals are. And a lot of HR areas are under-resourced. And so, you know, you sort of get into this execution mode. I just got to get it done. Yeah. You know, I think this work of building our cultural belonging and being a true people leader, it's not rocket science. It's not really hard. Um, I think our biggest enemy or the biggest barrier is time. We, no one has enough time. And so, you know, we're all sort of, again, um, focusing on just the outcome. Are we getting our work done? Are we achieving the goals? And not enough conversation about the how um, and, and, you know, building in a little bit of time to invest in the how. Yeah. Um, have you observed like, or, or, or do you have like your personal list of companies who are doing the right right actions to make their people feel belonging? Do you have like your favorites? Well, I do, but they're my clients. <laughs> and I only say that because- you talk well about your clients. I, and I only say that because I know what's going beneath the surface. So a lot of times, and here I'll tell you this, I've worked for companies that always consistently get on the list of, you know, 50 top places to work. And it's like a joke among employees because you're like, you gotta be kidding me. So things can look amazing on paper and big companies with a lot of resources know exactly 
which, you know, um, accolades to apply for or pay for, you know, having the things in place, all the right things. But again, Tuesday, three o'clock, people are miserable. So I can't really speak to that, but I can speak to some of my my clients. So on my website, on RidleyConsultants.com, I actually have a client success uh, tab, client success stories. And so the most recent one I'll share is in Milwaukee. It's the um, it's the Jewish Community Center. So it's a uh, organization that offers everything cradle to grave for the community, um, not just the Jewish community, but for the for the whole Milwaukee community. So everything from daycare to senior citizens classes and every everything in between. Um, and they take belonging so seriously. They have built values around it, guiding principles around it. They weave these concepts into the start of every meeting. It's part of their planning for all the departments. And I can tell you, everyone feels it from the moment they walk through those doors. Um, and including staff as well as um, the people. And they, they are hard on themselves. They get feedback. And they're always looking to where can we do better? And they're having very open and honest conversations around that. Um, and the, the executive director is doing some really creative things to specifically address burnout, well-being, um, you, you know, all in, in um, sort of as a result of them taking these concepts that we've been talking around, diversity, equity, inclusion, they include justice and belonging. So that is just one example. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, This particular um, uh, um, company, they actually wish to remain anonymous, but they've got an amazing story. So it's a high-tech company um, in manufacturing. So they do a lot of engineering and sort of handle all of the computer systems in big manufacturing, big, um, uh, big, what do do I call it? Like a uh, manu- equipment. Yep. And um, again, all of the leaders, very technical, very engineers, could care less about people. They were all about problem solving. And after the pandemic started to go into our rear view mirror, and like a lot of companies, you're like, okay, employees come back. They were only not coming back, they were quitting. And they were quitting because they literally said the culture sucks. I was okay working from home when I didn't have to show up. But now that you ask me to show up, no, thank you. And they were leaving on losing, you know, two or three engineers per week. Came in, turned it around in a, in a rapid fashion, simply because leaders decided culture and belonging was going to be a dedicated topic once a month among their senior leadership team for an hour Coming out of that meeting, they were each going to do something in their teams that, granted, pushed them outside of their comfort zone because it was about engaging with people, not problem solving. And they turned things around so incredibly. And by the way, the leaders who were afraid of leading with people first started to enjoy their work better because you're just deepening connections. Um, And so... I can only speak to, if you want more examples, you know, my client success story, 
But I like to highlight those, you know, they may not be the your biggest, most well-known companies, but it just goes to show with just a little bit of intentionality and making it something that you weave into your day-to-day as opposed to a big splash thing uh, can have amazing results. Beth, I, I love the fact that uh, these examples are genuine and they are not from the top list of best places to work, uh, which by the way, I think exactly the same as you, you pay, you get into the top. I have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the worst thing is, you know, your employees are smart. They know it. And to create that sense of hypocrisy, it's really bad because employees know it and they talk about it and they roll their eyes and that's the first thing that they say to like a prospective new hire if they know the person. What's it really like to work there? Oh, it must be amazing. Best place to work. Ugh. Yeah, not really. You want your, I, I say better than getting any of those external awards, the best reward, and this is some, the best um, measure of a cultural belonging, and it's easy to measure, is ask your employees, would you recommend this a place to work to your family and friends due to the culture? Mm-hmm. That's what you ask. And if your employees feel it, everyone's going to know because your employees are talking. Exactly, exactly. Today, on top, you have the opportunity to go to these aggregators of reviews of companies. And this is the place where people really go for it to say the truth. Uh, So, And sometimes you can see the same company who is in the top uh, best places to, to work in a review uh, online, he might be in in, a, in the bottom uh, of the scale. So, yeah. Now, yeah. He, I, I mentioned to, to you the, in the beginning that I have the feeling that this uh, DEI topic um, has a little bit of a struggles to be credible in the sense that the, the challenge exists, but companies are using the traditional training methods to mm-hmm. implement it. Mm-hmm. And um, according to you, what should be the best way to train people to be more inclusive? Is, is there something that we can? That yeah, works? you know, it's one of those things. You can't do enough training <laughs> probably to like change, you know, how people think, you know, and, and flip a switch. Um, and I say that that actually shouldn't even be the expectation, right? You did hire people to be really good at the job that they were hired to do. So while I do think a little bit of like um, introducing these concepts so people have a shared understanding is good. You don't need to go overboard with the training. I think the best way to help people just appreciate and sort of lead with an appreciation for diversity, how do I welcome diverse thoughts and perspectives in versus not be open to them? And how am I interested in having a growth mindset, always seeking to learn from others, is to um, encourage people just to practice that at work. Um, And I like to say at the end of the day, to your earlier point, um, we always feel the sense of connection, whether it's college or a sports team, we can create that at work. And it starts by just getting to know your colleagues a little bit better beneath the surface. Um, people want to feel that you are interested in them. And by carving out a smidget of time to get to know someone, 
Um, it also warms that relationship and warm relationships with others is the number one source of joy in life. And the workplace is no exception. So again, I like to say, come out of the workshop and into the workplace and just find ways. How do we connect with one another um, as, as humans, um, not only just as employees and coworkers? And it could be really super simple. And I've got a ton of examples of how people do that without having to over-invest a, a ton of time. Um, but employees really appreciate it because it, again, it kills two birds with one stone. One, when you ask someone to share about themselves or ask them just you know something about themselves or what do, what do they think, uh, people feel valued and they feel that sense of contribution. And then when you do that, it sort of opens the door to reciprocate with also sharing about yourself as well. And it warms that relationship. So I would say that's the best way. You're not going to change people's minds, but it's not about changing beliefs or minds. It's about simply broadening your data points around the human experience. And the more that we can do that, we do start to minimize our stereotypes, our assumptions, and replace that with more empathy and understanding. But we can only do that by engaging with people. Mm. So that, that's correct. So it is leader's role to enable the behaviors to spread after the awareness session or, or whatsoever, uh, and continuous reinforcement because it's the addition of a small things that, that, that is going to create this spread around, uh, around the full organization. Um, the dimension of performance maybe could be also considered like, I mean, if we are pushing for an, an inclusive organization, that, let's say, if you don't assess people on where they, they stand on that, then yeah. it's pointless because <clears throat> I'm not going to follow something that I'm not judged on. So, and yeah. I have to be judged on my on how much I have contributed to this. Maybe for most of the organizations, this inclusiveness is one of the core values. And, and I'm not judged on that. So... Why should I care? Yeah. If, okay, I'm, I'm judged only on my sales results or, or whatever other performance, uh, technical performance uh, ingredient. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you want to, and there are ways to measure this to hold people accountable, right? So again, I like to do the cultural belonging survey. So at the macro level, you sort of get a baseline and then understand you can set goals. For, and again, I think a, an important question on that survey is to, for employees to answer, I would recommend this is a great place to work due to the culture. And you can break that down at your departmental level and then sort of hold leaders accountable for every year that score should go up. And then, you know, each leader needs to decide, well, based on where am I lacking in terms of comfort, connection, contribution, and my commitment, what's a, you know, um, what's a daily behavior that I'm going to practice and then, you know, get 360 feedback at the, as part of their performance evaluation and all sorts of ties together. And like I said, it doesn't actually even require much. The one example I gave when leaders decided once a month they were going to talk about, you know, what the cult, you know, what's going on with the culture, what are each of us going to do coming out of this meeting to make a positive contribution and come back together to talk about it. Um, it took just a couple of months to completely transform that culture. That is, that is super practical to implement. And as you mentioned several times, it doesn't cost a bomb. It's not yeah. about a huge event. Um, Beth, we, how can people reach you out, 
if they have questions, I am pretty sure that a lot of the my audience is going to find it quite helpful to to ask questions about how can they do it in uh, in their own workplaces. How can yeah. they reach? I'm going to give you three ways. So um, one is if you want to download um, those resources that I talked about, those flip books, I have a downloadable PDF. So for example, 50 Ways to Boost Belonging in Meetings. You mm -hmm. can go to ridleyresources.com. So my last name is Ridley, R-I-D-L-E-Y. So that's if you want a tool in your hands right away. If you want to learn more about the services and learn, read maybe some of the client success stories, you can go to our website, which is ridleyconsultantsplural.com, ridleyconsultants.com. And if you want to just, you know, follow me on LinkedIn so you can see what I'm talking about and, you know, get some nuggets of wisdom and inspiration um, regularly. Uh, you can follow Beth Ridley, R-I-D-L-E-Y, on LinkedIn. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to put all of these links below this video so that everybody can access. Beth, it was so lovely to speak to you. And I, I really appreciate the job that you that you that you're doing on, on and also the how. In fact, I, I, I love this the, the fact that your background in business allows you to, in, in fact, is, is scale up these beliefs that you have about inclusiveness in, in the workplace. It, it makes it more credible because you have been going through the this. I lived, I lived through it as an employee, as a leader. And I like to say, anytime that you can make something easy and enjoyable, it's that's doable and sustainable. So my strategies are all easy to implement and enjoyable. People will keep coming back for more. Thank you very much, Beth, for your time. It was lovely speaking to you in this episode of the Growth Hacking Culture. Thank you so much.